Okay, Sosa, you want to mess with me? You messing with the best. You want to mess with me? Okay, you little cockroach. Come on. You want to play games? Okay, I play with you. Come on. Okay, you want to play rough? Okay, say hello to my little friend. I mean, it's Scarface. <laughs> yes, it is. Welcome to the Average Joe's Movie Class, Episode 7. I'm Justin. And I'm Joey. How are y'all doing today? Tonight on the show, we'll be discussing uh, Disobedience from 2017 and also Gangster Squad from 2013. We've been away for a long, long, long time, but now we're back and we're ready to chat movies and um, have a new found energy for the show, uh, changing things up a little bit and hopefully start cranking these out a little bit more often. So, uh, Joey, how you, how you been? I've been I've been really good, man. Um, you know, had vacation. We well, we both did vacation. Um, so I think, I think that's part of the reason we've been gone. So, um, hopefully, hopefully we'll be getting these cranked out like you said a, a little bit more frequently. So. so, have you seen uh Scarface recently? Oh, I have not seen Scarface in a really really long time. But I mean, that is. A really iconic line in a, in, in, a, in a movie that is very well known so <laughs> yeah I knew for sure you would already know it but um, <laughs> I think I, I leave you speechless uh, it was more uh, yeah it was it was like this, this is he is he trying to surprise me so much that I'm just gonna not pick it or whatever I mean like gangster movies is uh is, is one of my favorite uh, style of movies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely so. wasn't aiming to, uh, to trick you. It was more of I wanted to see if I could uh, channel my inner um, Al Pacino. So, and, um, and you know, it kind of it, it kind of fits. I, I approve. You know, you know how I like things coming full circle. So, and you know, we already we already know we're and talking about Gangster Squad. So, yeah, it, it, it works a little bit. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen Scarface in forever. Um, I think I've only seen it twice. And I've seen a lot of De Palma like in the last two years. And by far, I think Scarface, after like seeing all his other, his other stuff, like Scarface, like Far Away is his like best movie. I've seen a lot of his earlier stuff where he's like kind of like doing this more of a Hitchcock thing. And then he has this really crazy one called uh, Phantom of the Par- Paradise, which is like this pseudo rock opera thing. Um, but yeah, Scarface is like on a whole nother level, um, of action and violence, which is, is pretty awesome. Have you seen Carlito's way? I have not. That one's actually been on my, on my radar for a long time. It's one I've wanted to watch and just somehow I've, I've never, ever watched. Um, so that, that one's, like I said, just somehow I've fallen through the cracks and I've never watched it. 
Yeah, me neither. So that's maybe that'll go on one, our list one of these days or a challenge or something. So, um, yeah. So uh, tell us where you, where did you uh, go on vacation? So I went to Disney World, um, and it was my daughter's my daughter's first time going to Disney World, um, and it was the first time going with my family since I was a child. So it was the first time actually going with my brother and sister. They had been all together, but I haven't lived with them. Um, since I was in like sixth grade. So it was my first time going with them. And then, uh, you know, like I said, it was my daughter's first time going. So she had a blast. We were there for a week. Um, and it was, it was a crazy good time. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was very exhausting. It was very, very hot. I mean, as Florida is. So, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, she, she had a blast. Um, just, you know, as, as any 10 year old would having never been before. So. Yeah, absolutely. Any, uh, what's to you, uh, calling back to like your nostalgia, what, what's, what kind of rings true to you when going through there? I mean, honestly, the, I think the best part for me was, was just seeing her have a good time, but for, you know, nostalgia purposes, like, was Hollywood Studios was all the Star Wars stuff, but okay. um, I mean, I mean, my favorite movie growing up was Aladdin. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, like we did. I mean, it really, really for it honestly to be my brother's graduation trip. Mm-hmm. We, we mean, most everything was catered towards towards my kid. Like, I mean, like we made sure you know she met Alice. We made sure she met Elsa and Anna. We made sure she met um, Ariel. Like we made sure she pretty much did what she wanted to do. I mean, what I wanted to do was I wanted to make sure I wrote Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. which I did, because um, that's one of my favorite rides. I mean, I also love that movie. So, um, and I wanted to ride uh, Splash Mountain, which I didn't get to ride because oh bummer. Went to go ride it, and the yeah, well, we waited in line for like forty minutes because. That was one I specifically said to get a fast pass for, and we didn't get. And uh, the line, the ride broke. And then I rode the rapids in um in Animal Kingdom. So I mean, that was the thing. And the safari, I wanted to do a safari. So because I knew my kid would love it, because she loves animals, and she did. So did you ride that? And then uh, I wanted to eat, and we ate like crazy. Did you ride the Himalayan roller coaster in um Animal Kingdom? <laughs> no. No, hell no, 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 no. My kid did with my mother, but no, 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 no. Let me reiterate that. (laughs) Is it you're not into heights? Is that what's going on? Um, I don't like heights, and I don't like the sensation of free falling. And oh um, man, (laughs) so I mean, yes, I mean we rode some of the like smaller coasters and stuff. Um, I, I rode those with her. I rode Slinky Dog and the Seven Doors Mine Train, and, and um, some of those. But um, yeah, no, the the, the the big drops and stuff, I I can't do. They just no, um, <laughs> no. Um, I think one of the coolest rides though was was the Avatar ride. Actually, um, even having never seen Avatar, yes, I know it's only until very recently the highest grossing movie of all time. Sue me, I've never seen it. Whatever, um. But um, so they put you on this thing that looks kind of like a bike, like a like a motorcycle, and you have glasses on, and they put a screen up, and you're riding one of the little bird pterodactyl things, and uh, that's really cool. And they did like give you the sensation of free falling some, but 
about the time where my like it would hit me to where I'm free falling, it would bottom out. So it wouldn't it wasn't like a coaster, um, thankfully. <laughs> but um, you know, the Himalayan roller coaster, um that was actually my kid's favorite ride. That was she wanted to like ride it again, but it was like a two hour wait without fast passing. So she was like, nah, I'm fine. Yeah, we had a real good time riding that about two years ago. I think my big, my two, like we'll definitely probably go to Disney again like next year. We went like two years ago. Um, and Space Mountain, like we waited in line for like an hour to get onto Space Mountain and it broke like right when we were getting like close. So that was kind of disappointing. And then um, we could, uh, every time we went up to Small World, it was broke. So that was kind of disappointing. But um, I mean, there's hopefully we'll get some more chances. Um, my kids are big into me and my kids are big into like thrill rides so um and uh my vacation we went down to uh the more the tampa clearwater area so we went to a few amusement parks as well we went to legoland bush gardens this big water park and the beach and so yeah we had a good time catching uh the rays down there although it thunderstorm like every afternoon so like geez this um this bush gardens down in tampa like yeah we like I was almost on this one. I would basically like Nolan was like an inch short to ride like most of the thrill rides, and so like normally like when we go to parks like this, like Christina lets me split off to do like one ride, and my one ride like we were like the next people to get on this uh, the the roller coaster, and then I'm like oh thunder in the area, shut down, and so I missed out on that. But we did go on a couple cool rides, um, and even more next time. So. So, Joey, um, have you heard about the big uh, Criterion uh, Spine announcement that came out today? Yes. Yeah, so, number 1,000 is the Godzilla, was it, four, uh, 54 to 75, I believe, are the years for it. Mm-hmm, something like that. Yeah, that's close, if not yeah. exactly on it. Yeah, yeah well, I, um, as I, I live with a humongous Godzilla fan, oh, um, really? and we Yes, yes. Carl, um, which any any of you who um, read any of my reviews and see me refer to Night Flyer, that is, that is my room, roommate. Um, he's a humongous, humongous Godzilla fan. He already has the original uh, Godzilla um, criterion anyway, and so that was announced right. as 1,000. So yeah, he, he had been waiting. We had been waiting to see what 1,000 was, and a lot of speculation would be that it would be a Godzilla box set. So um, he's excited. Um, the internet uh, is not so much excited, but he's excited. Oh, I hadn't heard any so, uh, negative reaction yet. Um, what were some of the negative stuff you heard? Um, he saw some stuff. A lot of people were not. Um, it, it's not uh, highbrow enough. It's you know not oh, a, a an arts an, an artsy <laughs> enough film. You know that 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 kind of crap. You know trash. You know no. what have they ever done for film, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, or um, there was one person who wanted them to be like individually released, apparently all in Steelbook or, you know, individually released their own spine, you know, just dumb, dumb stuff. And it's like, you know, this is a really dope box set. Like, I'm not really big into Godzilla. I've only seen the original now, um, which I watched not that long ago, and yeah. um, the 2014 one. And I was like, yo, this is a really cool set. Like, I would probably try to pick it up on the next sale at the end of the year yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it um all those um 
I guess they call it the Showa era. I need to probably do some research on why they call it that exactly. Um, but yeah, all, I think all those movies are on the Criterion channel, so that gives me even more of an excuse to finally check those out. I'm sure they're going to be fun. I just, for some reason, I've never felt really um, compelled to check them out. And yeah, like you, um, I think we both watched the original Godzilla around the same period of time, and I've seen the Roland Emmerich one, and that's pretty much it. So I need to really get on top of my uh, Godzilla watching for sure. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, it was super frustrating when the um, so last week um, we were supposed to find out what Spine a Thousand was, and so I'm the kind of person who like on the the fifteenth of every month I'm like constantly refreshing my browser in the afternoon to see what the Criterion titles are, and they did they pushed it off like three or four days, and like. The only reason I found out it was actually going to be announced, I think it was on Thursday, was because they were like tweeting about it. And then we get the we get three or four we got four titles that came in. It was this um the silent films collection, Haxon on Blu-ray, which I need to see Haxon. Um and then these just two other random films, and they didn't even have Spine a Thousand at that time, and I was like, all this refreshing and waiting for this announcement for basically nothing. And then, uh, you know, they announced it today, so that was fine. Hoping that um, 1001 will be um, Citizen Kane. Um, have you heard about that being speculation? Um, no, but that would be that would be really cool since, you know, it's it's number one on Laserdisc. So exactly. it would be really cool for it to be, be really cool to be, to be 1001 on Blu-ray. Um, mm-hmm. Blu-ray. Well, yeah, on Blu-ray. And uh, yeah. I would totally, totally scoop that up. Um, I saw that last year for the first time, and you know, really, really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. So I would, I would totally scoop that up. Now that, um, you know, I went from having like two Criterion's to a, a lot more out of this sale because I basically broke myself. <laughs> um, yeah, on my same last here. Check. So, well, so, um, all right. How many did you pick up? So I picked up. Uh, Let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four. I picked up five. Um, two box sets. Um, or I guess one box set and one that had three movies in it. So, yeah. So I, I picked up a pretty substantial um, amount. Um, so what I what I picked up, I picked up the Lone Wolf and Cub box set, which is six movies. I, I mean, technically seven because it also has Shogun Assassin stuffed in it in the extras and then i picked up uh, silence of the lambs i picked up the samurai set which is samurai one samurai two samurai three and those okay. are actually sub- those are those three movies all are spined um it's not like the the lone wolf and cub which is one number so that's actually three spines but are those blue go- yes okay yeah and they're spined uh coincidentally enough with silence of the lambs so they're that's actually 13 14 15 and 16 together um, then I picked up the killers, which actually is also two movies. It's the 1946 and 1964. And, and then I picked up blue is the warmest color, um, yeah. which on sale was only $12. Oh, sweet. so yeah, I was like, I can't not, I wanted to any watch it anyway. So yeah, every time I've like, well, I used, you know, that I watched that a few months ago and every time I was looking for it, it was, um, it was always on Netflix. So I haven't actually felt compelled to buy it. But maybe at some point, I mean, that's definitely a, 
I'm not sure if it really needs to be on my shelf now with little kids in the house, but uh, maybe eventually when they're teenagers, it might be um, a better thing to have on your shelf. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little weird when it comes to Criterions. Um, like, I only get stuff generally that I've watched before, and most of the time, like, I only buy films that, first of all, I really, I really liked them, or they're somewhat kid-appropriate, or they're, like, just beautiful to have on in general. And... Um, any, did you want to say anything else about um, the ones you picked up? Um, well, I picked up Lone Wolf and Cub. Obviously, anybody who knows anything knows that Shogun Assassin was mentioned in Kill Bill 2. And that, you know, those all, um, Lone Wolf 1 and 2 were spliced together to make Shogun Assassin. So anything that's going to be Tarantino-related or esque, I'm going to try to pick up whether I've seen it or not. Um, so I picked those up. Um, the killers, I really didn't know anything about. It was just, I read the back. It seemed cool. Um, so I kind of went complete opposite of you. Like I haven't seen hardly any of them. Okay. Yeah. Just kind of the opposite. Um, so I don't know if I'll be, uh, watching a bunch of samurai movies in the next few weeks, months. And <laughs> so, um, as you're, uh, I know your roommate's really into samurai stuff. Um, that's right. Carl's into samurai stuff. Yes, he he Say also, <laughs> yeah, he also picked up a, a samurai movie because he went back and he did two rounds. He's done two rounds of the of uh, Criterion on the sale. So sweet. Is he a Harry Carey fan? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, that's uh, a lot of times when I hear samurai. That's one of the ones that comes to mind. Um, that's a whole other discussion in itself. Maybe I'll challenge you with that one at one point, and I'll give it another chance. Um, okay, just curious if that rang any bells off the top of your head. Um, I went way way overboard. Um, I usually try to like, I kind of budget like a hundred dollars or so um, on the sale. And um, I make a list on Letterbox of what exactly I want to pick up. And I even kind of pre-scout my store ahead of time to see what they actually have. Um, so, I, yeah, I really did get into the Criterion sale. Um, so I picked up 11 titles. I picked up uh, Funny Games from uh, Michael Haneke. Um, I've seen the remake, which is basically shot for shot with... Um, I'm blinking on the actress's name now that I mentioned it. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, have you ever seen funny any of the funny games? Not, I, I don't believe so. No, that doesn't ring any bells. Okay, it's kind of like a um, a twist on kind of a slasher thing. It's kind of um, poking fun at how um, how people kind of root for violence in movies. Um, and I haven't seen the original. The original's in German, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing um, the first first go round of that and so i have that on blu-ray now i picked up war and peace which i had talked about on this show uh previously i saw some credit dvd copies of that a few months ago and was like totally blown away so i was like as soon as this comes out on blu-ray i'm definitely picking it up and um at some point i'll pop it on and check out those amazing um napoleon era war sequences on battlefields and blu-ray um i got a um this was one of the later ones I picked up. Um, I actually got a, a bonus from work. So I was like, oh, sweet. I can use this little gift card to um, pick up another Criterion since the sales is going on. And I got the, the Kotze trilogy. Have you ever heard of uh, Coinus Kotze? 
Uh, does not ring a bell. Uh, it's an interesting group of films. They're basically visual films that like have music to like visuals, and they kind of um, tell this thematic story through their visuals. And um, Kornaskotsky is all kind of about like the craziness of like um, human society and consumption, like almost run amok, and it really um, gives you that feeling of overwhelmness through its visuals. And then there was two sequels to that, which I haven't seen the two sequels, but I picked up that box set. Um, I finally picked up this uh, kids flick called The Red Balloon. It's actually not spy numbered, but it's from Janus Films, which is related to the Criterion Collection. And that's just a 35 minute short. It's really cool of this uh, kid falling around this red balloon, which I like to put on for my kiddos. Um, I picked up The Black Stallion, which I was blown away by when I saw that recently. Um, has some amazing uh, cinematography and it's I think it's probably my favorite kids film in the collection um, I picked up Blue Velvet uh, from David Lynch that's been a popular one this sale um, I finally got a um, Charlie Chaplin film I got a uh, Modern Times um, which I'm planning to watch with my kids just so they can be more acquainted with um, black and white uh, silent cinema I, I actually got one um, blind buy which was Jabberwocky from uh, Terry Gilliam um, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. I heard it's a little bit like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, and generally, I love Gilliam in gen um, always. So uh, I did not feel bad picking that up. I picked up Police Story. I saw those um, a couple months ago as well, and I was blown away by the first one. It was amazing. Have you? I, I need to recommend for you to check out Police Story for sure. Uh, two, I found very underwhelming. I kind of wish that this this box set had uh, Police Story One and Police Story Story Three, which is a uh, Super Cop. But um, eh, what are you gonna do? Um, I picked up Heaven's Gate, which is like one of the most infamous um, movie flops of like all time. Um, it was from the same director as The Deer Hunter. And while I trashed this movie, it was a really beautiful looking movie. And I think this transfer has a lot better color than what I saw on Amazon Prime a few months ago. So I'm going to give it another shot. And then um, when I posted a picture of this on the Criterion uh, Facebook groups, everyone's like, why did you pick that up? And I, I picked up Jellyfish Eyes. <laughs> and I really didn't have a problem with this movie. I'm not, I don't think, I'm not sure if I talked about it on the, po on the podcast. But um, it's kind of like Pokemon meets like Power Rangers kind of. And somehow ended up in the Criterion Collection, and I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, the CGI is a little dodgy, but to get, like, an international flick in Japanese where I can watch it with my son and, like, he can kind of practice his reading to, like, with subtitles, I mean, it's a win-win for me. It's, I thought it was entertaining. So that was my massive haul. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, you went you – went you went pretty deep. Yeah, I actually have a wish list on um, on the Barnes and Noble uh, website for when okay. if if after um, we go to Columbia and we go to our um, you know I've got some you know I pay rent and you know other stuff I can pick up one or two more or for when you know it comes back around. So I've I've got a I've got a wish list of some other stuff like uh, I'd want to pick up Lost Samurai, which um. Which my roommate has, and we've watched already. Um, I love that movie. Oh, and that's the French. That's the French film. Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, and of course, I mean, I want like Seven Samurai. I mean, um, oh, that yeah. movie is awesome. But I mean, there's some other ones. It's actually ones I haven't seen, like Easy Rider. Um, but I mean, 
we have the Criterion channel, so I mean, we can watch that one and and Lore. Um, I want to watch that one. It's also on the channel. So I mean, those are <laughs> those are easy to kind of to come by. Um, and then there's like Asphalt Jungle um, that I want to I want to pick up. But I mean, I read the description of that movie, and I was like, man, this is oddly familiar. Like, if the people, if the guy, the characters' names are colors, then I mean, Jesus Christ, it's like I've already watched this movie just by a different director. Um, for those that are not familiar, um, it, from what I read, and I'm not going to assume anything, but based on what I read, it looks like it very heavily influenced Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> oh, interesting. So, I had no idea. Yeah, that, that title's always stood out to me, but um, I've never uh, capitalized on checking it out myself. Um, and then there's a few more, but Barnes & Noble is not letting me sign into my account for me to actually pull up the list. So it's just being a pain in the butt. Oh, now I remember what I blinked on on the lure. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to taint your going into that, but yeah, just check out my thoughts on it afterwards and uh, <laughs> let me know how they sync up. Um, yeah, I I was a little underwhelmed with by that one, but um, it's it's a strange one. Eh? Uh, you probably know it's a, a monster mermaid musical from. I think it's Czech. I didn't. From it's from Poland. Oh, Poland. Okay. For my understanding, yeah, because I just uh, I just did a a list of seventy six movies for, uh, around the world where I'm basically going to go around the world watching different movies, and so that was my Polish Polish movie. Um, but yeah, so my my wish list as of now is Asphalt Jungle. The Yojimbo and Sanjuro box set, uh, Charade or Charade, which I love. That movie was awesome. Uh, the Graduate, Easy Rider, Los Samurai, Lure, Hunger, which is also on that list of around the world movies. Um, my Irish one. So that's um, probably my next round of ones I'm going to pick up to start with anyway. My Christ, get out my of hand. My Criterion wish list, I have narrowed it down to keep putting off Punch Drunk Love. That's one I want to get. The Graduate definitely needs to be on my shelf. Uh, Harold and Maude, uh, Inside Lewin Davis, um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, Personal Shopper, which is on Netflix right now. So that kind of hint. Um, whenever it's really streamable, sometimes I kind of back off on stuff. Uh, Eight and a Half, The Red Shoes, Thief, Election. Squid the Whale, Wages of Fear, Rushmore, Walkabout, and um, House of Games, which I haven't seen. So, I am a consumer at heart, so I'm always have my eyes on buying more stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I also, and this is, um, but and we're gonna watch this one soon. It's Sword of Doom, and that one looks really awesome. Um, is what I'm interested in. Um, we did this one's not a criterion, but both of us went ahead and, and pre-ordered this. Um, this is actually Arrow, so it's another, um, you know, a high-end, I guess, boutique, if you will, uh, Blu-ray. Yeah, I've heard, of, uh, I've so heard of Arrow. They have, yeah, they're doing um, a, a new release for um, Old Boy. Oh yeah, I heard about that. So today. we went ahead and we also. Yeah, we actually pre-ordered that. We pre-ordered it. it was a three disc, and then they actually came out and were like, "Nah, we actually had some issues." So, 
it worked out. You don't get these special features, but um, you get all three movies in the, the Vengeance trilogy. So you just have to wait an extra month and you get two extra movies for the same price. We're like, nice. cool. So I'm, I don't have any arrows. That'll be my first arrow. The only, the only downside to this is it's a region B. Oh no. Um, yeah. Um, sometimes the arrows, um, even they say the region B will still work. Um, but if not, I think we're just going to buy a PS3 and you can take the PS3 and switch it to region B and just leave it and it'll, it'll work. So, oh, sweet. Hmm. yeah, that's, that's, so in terms of, in terms of physical media, I think the only other thing I have my eye on is, um, they're coming out with this apocalypse now 4k, which is supposed to be the final cut. So what we've had, like the cut, the, um, Redux cut and now the final cut, which it's getting it's getting pretty ridiculous with Apocalypse Now cuts. Um, I wonder if it's even longer than what it originally was. But um, yeah, I'm cur- I'm I'm pretty curious to, to dig back in the, into that one. That is one of the more surrealist war films out there um, that I appreciate more every time I check it out. Um, one of the other big things I'm looking forward to is they've uh, uh, they've announced. Other end games about to come out, and um, I do want to pick that up on Steel. But they also have pretty much they're going to come out with a box set of the four Avengers movies. Going to be four separate steals in that, and they're also doing um, Thor, uh, Thor one and two in Steel. And I'm just like, I can't. Yeah, that's it's a lot. Me. I'm definitely going to pick up Endgame, well, and then today I saw that. Ratatouille's coming out soon in uh, Steelbook, along with a couple other Pixar's, so that caught my interest. Well, I, I was contemplating whether or not to get in game and steal it or at all, because you know, all right, you know, getting that and steal that's that's no bigs, whatever. But picking up Infinity War, which I missed, um, that's a hundred dollars, and so I was like, you know, I don't spend a hundred dollars on a movie. You know, I liked Infinity War, but I didn't like it near as much as Endgame. I was like, I'm gonna spend a hundred bucks on on this movie and then it's like well here's the box set and you can you get you know ultron and avengers and then it's like 150 dollars. and i was like okay well that's a different beast you know that's you know that's a different beast when you're already spending 40 on almost one you know that makes them 40 dollars a clip that's a little better mm-hmm. um and and john wick three's on steel look right around the corner and i've got the first two of those in steel, so I mean, I have to get that one. <laughs> and it's so. crazy. Yeah, a lot of the steel books, like I thought I had to get, like I was actually in Best Buy the other day, and they have plenty of like the Jumanji uh, board game steel box that I insisted I had to get on day one. So it, yeah, it's pretty crazy what you know lingers around and then what totally disappears. So you never know. Uh, one yeah, other there's, thing there's I wa- one more. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, say. The one other one I have to. I... <laughs> Go ahead. The, the one other one that I do actually have to find is Solo because I have every other Star Wars movie in Steelbook. So that's the only other one I have to like have to have to find. And so. Okay. Very sweet. Uh, one more thing I wanted to note um, in this portion was I was actually a uh, like I've told you, but I'll let you know, let the audience know that I was a uh, guest host on the Criterion Creeps podcast, which I listen to 
every Thursday as soon as it drops, um, a regular emailer to that show. Um, although I don't always agree with their opinions, um, they're they're two pretty relatable guys, uh, just like ourselves, and I've been inspired to do a lot of podcasting. Um, based on uh, what I've listened to from them. Um, we talked for about four hours about all kinds of different movies, um, and the episode was actually focused on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I had an amazing time revisiting that and looking at that from a more like, what can I pick out that would be interesting for a podcast point of view. Plus, they pushed me to, um, are you familiar with Fear and Loathing? That's actually another one that I've never seen that I really, really want to see. I've just never seen. It's about this um, renegade journalist um, named uh, Hunter S. Thompson, and we ended up watching a bunch of like documentaries all about him. So I got an even better sense of the movie with kind of understanding the actual guy a lot better and rereading the book. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, look up the Criterion Creeps um, podcast on YouTube and SoundCloud, uh, especially that uh, Fear and Loathing episode, so you can hear more of me. Uh, and we all love the movie, so it was like this whole like fanboying, fanboying out on this Terry Gilliam film. So it was a lot of fun. And Joey, before we move on to talking about some more movies, we actually got some listener feedback, which is really exciting. All right, but awesome. Both of them came from our first episode on Ashes and Diamonds. We had um, Mark Rep comment. He said he enjoyed the episode. Good choice of films to cover, and I like the idea of the movie club, so we really appreciate that. Mark, he had a question for us, actually me in particular. Um, he says, by the way, how do you get 2,000 plus followers on Letterboxd? Any tips? And um, he, he is Movie Man Mark on Letterboxd, so give him a follow. Um, maybe he'll get a couple more uh, followers, you know, just off of anybody listening to this, um, this podcast. So... Um, so I guess I'll start with this question, um, 2,000 followers. Well, it definitely took some work. Um, when I first got onto Letterboxd, you know, I just maybe had like a, a handful of followers. And, you know, you see these like leaderboards with people with thousands and thousands of followers. And basically when I came into the Letterboxd era of my life, <laughs> um, I've always wanted to be a movie critic at heart. And I never really pushed myself. And having the Letterboxd platform was a perfect way of getting all that like put into something where people would actually notice it and give feedback. And I just love the platform. I'm on it every single day. Um, and so at first what I did was I liked like everybody in sight. And then after a while I looked and I saw like I was following way, way, way more people than who were actually following me. And I was like, oh, that's not cool. I kind of want it to be like an even split. I should people, the same amount of people that are um, I'm following should be following me. And so I spent a lot of time evening that out. And I still do put way too much effort into actually keeping that even because I like that level playing field just in my OCD soul. Um, and from there, what I do is I do a little bit of outreach. Like a lot of times when I'll watch a movie, like I'll look for people that like that movie throughout Letterboxd and I'm like I'll check out the reviews and I'll like them and I'll comment sometimes and so I do a little bit of outreach um, I know some of my most popular reviews have been from like newer Marvel films so it's all about like keeping constant with um, you know putting out new material for people to discover um, 
And like, you know me, like I'll go like way, way to go on and on and on about a review. I mean, a lot of people are really popular and they just put a little quip. So, um, you know, to each his own. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think it's all just about being persistent and um, you know following people, liking people, and um, some of the most humbling things I found now is the fact that like just randomly somebody followed me today um, based on my Princess Bride uh, review, which I hadn't thought about in months. And then when I checked the leaderboard, like I had the tenth most popular um, Princess Bride review on. Um, on Letterbox, which is pretty sweet, so I'm humbled by that. I'm nowhere to be found on the leaderboard. I don't know how that thing works, but um, but at least my uh, my individual reviews show up and get noticed. So, um, and it's not. And at the end of the day, it's all about me keeping this like written log of everything I've watched and how I feel about things, which actually paid off for this podcast because um, like I didn't exactly remember how I felt about Persona. And then I like reread my review and checked the movie out again, and we talked about it on the cast. And um, so that was, I liked having that that historical record for myself. Um, Joey, uh, what say you on how you letterbox? Um, I I too like trying to keep it even, like you like you said. Um, mine is not. Uh, I think yours is a little more even than mine. I think I'm about 70, 70 or 80 away from being even where I, I follow about 70 or 80 more people than follow me. And I am nowhere close to you friend. Um, I think I have about 102 followers right now. So uh, I'm definitely on the uh, smaller end of, of that. But yeah, it was like, I was like, Oh man, I got a hundred followers. I was, I was pretty excited and like, when one of my one of my uh, reviews, which are much much shorter than yours usually, um, I think like my highest one this year has been like seven, and I was like, oh my god, I got seven reviews! Hell yeah! I was like, I'm super <laughs> excited. So, um, <laughs> and I, I go and look at yours, and they have like seventy five, a hundred, and I'm just like, Christ! Um, so yeah, it's just um. I don't know. When I first got on, I was just like, I like this person and this person and this person. And then, you know, randomly I'll, I'll be at work and I'll just get an email and like such and such person followed you, such and such person followed you. And if, you know, I'm not already following them, I'll follow all of them back. And then if I am all of them, I'm like, Hey, it's cool. So, you know, um, it's just, you know, like, a, you know, you know, what do they say about this movie or this movie? What are their favorite kinds of movies? Or if, you know, a similar taste, that's really cool. And if they have something that's, like off the wall, you know, maybe, maybe I'll find a movie that I've never heard of, or, you know, I'll get a different opinion. Um, you know, maybe it'll, you know, put me in a different direction that I wouldn't have thought of. And that's just kind of, kind of how I view it is, you know, it'll broaden my horizons. So one, one day, one day, maybe I'll get the 2000. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually pretty excited at one point about a month ago. It looked as if I was about to have exactly as many followers as I've seen movies and it didn't quite line up and then one never one number went way up and the other one kind of stayed the same and so I think I was like four away from that I probably should have like unwatched a few movies in order to make it line up so I could take a picture but yeah oh well <laughs> really appreciate that comment Mark and we got another comment um, which wasn't actually like feedback or question but um, a Yavin Jen 
um, commented on the Ashes and Diamonds um, review, and he actually put a timestamp of when we actually started talking about Ashes and Diamonds. So that was an interesting thing to do. Um, it gets me thinking more about, you know, should we timestamp our episodes? Like, for instance, we're, you know, we're kind of in the first part of our show and it's about 40 minutes in. Should I timestamp when we talk about disobedience? Should I timestamp when we talk about Gangster Squad? Maybe. Um, I don't know. Really appreciate you doing that, Jen. You didn't have to do that. Um, hopefully you liked what we had to say. Um probably a controversial opinion since we were kind of man on that movie but um now yeah, what are you gonna do yeah that was also us uh i mean i'm not oh my god we're professionals but you definitely have a much more or kind of a idea of what we're doing that the first time we kind of flying blind out there yeah yeah we were definitely uh feeling the water um i definitely didn't come in as prepared as as what i've been doing lately um Alright, so the next uh, segment of our show, we're going to talk about uh, a couple recent movies we've been watching. And, um, Joel, you have a couple that you want to talk about? Alright, so uh, recently, um, all right, besides, obviously, the two that we, um, we're going to talk about for the, for the actual cast. So I watched Blue is Warmest Color, um, I watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I watched Alien... Um, those were probably the, and I watched Spider-Man Far From Home. So those are probably um, kind of the biggest ones I've watched. Oh, and okay, and Gone Baby Gone. Sorry. So I've watched, I've all, I've all watched this month. Um, I'd probably say out of all of those, I mean, I absolutely loved Alien, and that was my 1200th movie. So um, I made sure I saved that one uh, to be my 1200th Um and that was, I watched the theatrical cut in Blu-ray. Um, it was fan-freaking-tastic. Um, so I'm sure at this point, most everybody's probably seen Alien. And I was kind of the weird person that hadn't. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, that one, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, it's just a, a clinic in how to do a suspense horror movie. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to watching Aliens, which I mean, I know is a uh, much different, you know, it's not Ridley Scott, it's James Cameron, and it's, uh, it's an action fest, but um, I'm looking forward to, to giving that one a shot. Um, like, I went to the theater, obviously, I went to the theater for Spider-Man as it's in theaters. Um, I thought that one was really good. It was an isolation from the, the build, and it was a nice way to throw on the, the phase and, and set us up for the next phase, but it, it was... Uh, I did not like it as much as the first Spider-Man and um, with Tom Holland, and it was just uh, it's a, little, a little different. Um, I really enjoyed Blue um, a lot, really good. Um, it was it was long; it didn't feel long. And then, you know, I, every I watched it because of the comparisons to disobedience. Um, yeah, and definitely. Then, and Gone Baby Gone was. was fantastic um that was just I, I like any anything that's like um detective or you know read that kind of stuff and that one was that one that one was, that one was, it was hard hitting i don't know how i just haven't watched that movie in 12 years but you know i hadn't and i on netflix one watched it and it was it was fantastic very cool. Um, so with Spider-Man, it's been out a few weeks. I guess we can talk about it in more detail. 
Um, were you into like the whole like high schooler comedy that really dominated the first part of that movie? I mean, honestly, like, like I, mean, I mean, I guess there was some. I mean, there's some of that. It's, it's fine. I mean, I've, I've uh, that same kind of shit. So, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, I guess it's fine. I mean, I honestly had forgotten about it. It was more you know, kind of into the whole. Spider-Man and MJ and their super heckin' cute romance that, you know, made <laughs> me, you know, the whole time I was sitting there making I'm gonna vomit noises. Um as you know, my, my friend I was with, she was like, Oh my god, this is so cute and I was just like, Yeah, I wanna vomit. So um <laughs> but um One thing that really bugged know, me Spider-Man is got, like the high school romance um, and comedy in general, like, it was fine. Like, I think I got enough of it in the first movie. I was kind of ready to move on. Um, but it was just him being so whiny about, like, oh, I just want to be with my friends and be with MJ, and I don't really want to do the Spider-Man thing anymore. And I complained about it over and over. That To me, that's like the Superman um, 2 syndrome of where the hero doesn't want to be a hero. I'm just so tired of that trope in superhero movies. It seems like we've gotten away from it a while um, with the MCU, but here it creeps right back up in Spider-Man Far From Home. So, Well, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I actually saw a meme somewhere, and uh, someone, they brought up uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, and, and basically calling him a whiny bitch. And that's all he did was, you know, he know when he was whining, I was like, mm, I was like, you haven't seen, I was like, Tom Holland kind of whining, like, he doesn't want to be Spider-Man. He basically, hey, who you got? Where's Thor? Where's Captain Marvel? Where's this person? Where's that person? You know, it's like, you know, he's like, I'm not ready, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I get, you know, like, you know, Toby Spider-Man by especially by three where he was emo spider-man was you know at least a little bit older and you know yeah. here he's supposed to be you know a, a fairly young you know teenager but it's still it was you know it did kind of go for a, a ways um they did some cool stuff with you know the with the illusions but at the same time it was also it was we went fighting giant, you know, Thanos and everything else to, to fight in a regular guy illusions, but at, you know, the same time, like I said, de-escalation so we can bridge from one phase to the next. So, you know, it, like I said, that part made sense. So, um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy the mysterious stuff. At, like, at first, like, whenever it showed him, like, out of the illusion, it's like, oh, uh, not into this, but whenever I actually was in the illusion, I thought that was like really great. Um, it reminded me a lot of the Spider-Man cartoon that I know and love. Um, and the other point I was thinking about is a lot of people want like these superheroes to be like so relatable. And I don't know what it is about me, but I just want to see my superheroes kicking ass and doing cool stuff. And I really don't care if I can relate to them. Um, trying to think like for example like a lot of times you'll ask people what their favorite sport is and they'll be like well i'm trash at basketball but that's my favorite sport to like watch 
And like for me, whenever somebody asks what my favorite sport is, I just say football because I love to watch it. I like playing a sport doesn't even register in my mind. Like if I wanted to know your favorite sport to play, I would say what's your favorite sport to play. Generally, when I ask people what their favorite sport is, it's it's all about watching. Um, any thoughts on that? You know, relating to your superhero, especially like I guess Spider Man. Spider Man is supposed to just be this teenager, but yeah, most of your spider, your your superheroes, you know, you don't, you're not going to relate to them because, all right, like how how do you relate to Iron Man? He's a rich playboy. It, there's like what twelve people in this country that can relate to him. Like none of us can relate to Jeff freaking Bezos. Okay, so <laughs> Iron Man is Jeff Bezos in a suit. Okay, cool. Batman is um Bill Gates in a suit. Okay, none of us can really look at him. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Um, all right, well, Wolverine kill himself. Well, no, can't can't relate to him. He's been alive since, you know, whatever time period you want to go from. No, can't relate to him. I can't relate to Ryan Reynolds. Sorry, well, can't relate to Deadpool. So, so yeah, we're just going to continue about the day. Just let him, let him kill everybody, beat everybody up, go about their day. So, um. Yeah, I can just just let them do cool stuff. Um, well said. <laughs> I mean, go ahead. I was gonna say probably the thing from Spider Man was the, the the middle credit scene. That was probably the coolest thing. That was the big setup for the next phase and the next Spider Man movie, or I guess you know he, definitely the next Spider Man movie. Where yeah, I'm definitely interested reveal. in um, checking out what's next after the that, that big reveal. Um, and the, uh, the mid credit scene. So, all right. It's a, yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, right, it's so amazing how do? long it's been since we've uh, podcasted and I actually counted up how many movies I've seen in that time. And I think it's like 60. Um, but I'll just name a few of the ones that I've seen just most recently. Um, so pre like over the weekend, I saw the Lion King remake because my uh, family wanted to see that, and I didn't mind seeing that. And um, that was by far the most crying babies I've ever heard in a movie theater. So that was just peachy. Um, but that did cover up some of the noise my littlest one was making. Um, <laughs> I had a pretty good time with it. Um, thank goodness the music was on par, at least on par with the cartoon. So. That was cool. Um, the CGI looked all really... Um, I mean, it's all photorealistic, like animals and stuff. So it looked pretty cool. Um, I like. I really liked it when they actually deviated from shots, where like there was this really cool like under a waterfall shot that... Now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been in the cartoon, but maybe not. I'd have to revisit it. Um, it's a little weird when you're watching like this CGI recreation stuff like do like you know there's that famous shot from the opening where they like rack focus and you see the zebras walking there so like all that's like exactly taken from um so what are the differences um in terms like a lot of people were complaining like like the CGI wasn't as good um because like you're not seeing the expression in some of the characters' faces, and for the most part, I would disagree with that, disagree with that. Other than the fact that Baby Simba, like whenever Mufasa dies, like his his face is like totally like frozen. Um, I did not see any emotion out of the 
that face, so that was a little disappointing. Um, I was about to get to the fact that um, Seth Rogen was fantastic as Pumbaa. Um, I mean, overall, I had a good time with it. I rated it three and a half stars on the old letterbox. I mean, I thought, I mean, if I'm in the mood to watch Lion King, I'm going to pop in the cartoon, but I think they did a decent job, and um, I'm not sure if you've seen the Mulan trailer yet, but that looks really good like that actually looks like a movie where if they gave live action treatment to it would actually bring the story up somewhat to another level um have you seen that trailer i haven't i, I know that it, it exists but you know that's a movie that live action makes sense for to me you know it's an actual movie where there's a war and a battle and you know that's a, that, that's a movie that live action like I said, makes sense for. Just like I, I thought, you know, Beauty and the Beast makes sense, Jungle Book makes sense, and, and those are ones I've seen. I haven't seen Aladdin, I've seen the Aladdin remake. Um, but like the Lion Cat one just, that one seemed like it was hard to do. Um, and because I've heard a lot of the same things you said, and like they did the live action lions, your photorealistic lions, and a lot of them didn't have, the faces didn't match up with the scenes and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm, I've been a little apprehensive about wanting to see that one per se mm -hmm. the next movie i wanted to talk about i finally got to on netflix it's called uh, swiss army man and <laughs> so at first when this whole like opening of this movie starts it's it's a corpse of daniel radcliffe and he's farting and um paul dano gets on him and he jet skis on a farting corpse uh um radcliffe and um yeah, that's one heck of an opening to a movie. Um, but really, this movie has a lot of heart to it. Um, like, once you get past all, like, the real kind of gross humor to it, um, I mean, because in addition to him, like, doing these, like, fart cannons, like, at one point, his uh, his penis turns into, like, a compass, and <laughs> there's, some, there's all kinds of goofy stuff on the exterior of this movie that kind of is there, I think, to throw like general audiences off of but if you really listen to what's going on in the movie it has it taps into like different like social taboos and like personal insecurities and i thought it was i was blown away by this movie by the fact that you could have these crazy laughs but also have a lot of heart to it as well and i was really impressed with uh swiss army man And another thing I watched the other day, um, this isn't a movie, it's actually, I guess it's a documentary. Um, on CNN, they have this whole series going on now about um, the movies. And so right before I went on vacation, I checked out the episode on the 80s. And man, I just love like these like retrospectives of movies. Like a lot of people complain about the Oscars having these um, like different montages of like different famous movie moments, but man, I just eat that stuff up so to have two hours of that on cnn i was i was really digging that and the two last movies i want to talk about just real quick um on the criterion channel i want i'm not sure if you've heard of the apu trilogy it's this um series of three films out of uh, india and when i first checked it out like i saw the darjeeling limited recently because i was like in a wes anderson mood and so i checked that out and i actually enjoyed that a lot more than i remember um, but I remember that Wes Anderson was inspired to make this uh, movie about India because of um, the, the, the guy who I think his name's like Sat Jaray or something. Um, but anyways, it's this black and white like humanistic film about this poor family in India. 
and I was like, oh man, is this going to be like Roma? Like I had some issues with Roma, just the fact that it was so like detached, but man, this, this first movie of the Apu trilogy is like so warm and relatable and had beautiful black and white cinematography. I just fell in love with these characters and I, I, if you, like if you like Roma, I think you'll like really like Apu because it's like way better because it's like so much more. Um, I I found it very a lot more investing. Um, so that's my two cents on that, and I can't wait to watch the other two films in that series. And I guess I can't leave it without saying that I saw uh, Midsommar um, from Ari Aster, the same guy who did Hereditary. Now, have you seen Hereditary? I did. I did see Hereditary. Um, I guess it was last year. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Hereditary. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually just watched it for the third time not too long ago, and actually the first hour like was a lot slower than I remembered. But yeah, Midsummer. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, it's basically another grief movie where this girl has some like family issues. And to kind of get over it, she goes on this trip with her boyfriend to Sweden and they're kind of on the rocks in general because she's like really emotional and he's kind of like emotionally detached, but he's also very non-confrontational. So he doesn't really have like the, um, he, let's just say he won't sack up enough to um, actually just kind of split it off. And so it's this really crazy kind of wicker man story of them getting, involved with this um, Swedish uh, tradition and it's with this cult and I tell you some stuff in this movie I was just like I was looking around the theater and I actually saw it in an empty theater so um, but it's this is about as close to an NC-17 movie as I've ever seen in a movie theater with some of the craziness in there with uh, violence and nudity and yeah it, it was quite the experience um, it's a really neat movie because I mean you have these really cool buildings that have all like all these stories and pictures on the walls and then you like start seeing like the stories like come true in within the film and there's some pretty messed up stuff in there but it's it's the kind of movie I love I love these like movies that take you on a real journey and I don't care if it you know if it's it kind of leaves you on a down note as long as it's like this like cinematic experience I really dig those so um Definitely recommend Midsummer. Plus, I spent some time in Sweden um, back in college, so all that kind of rang true for me as well. And coming up for me, um, I'm going to take a half day at work tomorrow and see Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So really looking forward to that. also have a buddy who wanted me to watch some Hitchcock films, so I'm going to check out uh, Notorious. And I heard Quentin Tarantino talk up this one Western called uh, The Wild Bunch. And I've been meaning to watch that for a while. Um, what are some uh, movies you sh you'll be watching soon, Joey? Um, well, I'm going to go see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm actually probably not going to see that until Monday. I'm actually off work tomorrow. But uh, me, Carl, and one of our other friends are actually going to go to Columbia and we're going to watch a NXT show tomorrow. So unfortunately, um, because of because we're recording this tonight, because we're going that, we're not watching it tomorrow. But we're going Monday. I think Sunday after work, I think we're actually going to watch The Killing by one of your favorite directors, um, Kubrick. Mr. Kubrick. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're going to watch that, and um, 
that's the only like a meeting um, probably um Those are the two, the next two that I know I'm watching. Out of that, I'm not, I'm not 100 sure. Um, I, I think Vampire is also right around the corner. That's one we've been talking about watching, and um, Carl, Carl has both of those on the show. Be pretty much. So. Oh, very cool. So that's the only thing I, I know. Yeah. All right, and so that takes us into our main films of the night. So we we'll, are going to be starting off with um, Disobedience from 2017. So the synopsis of this movie, according to Wikipedia, is this is a romantic drama directed by Sebastian uh, Lelio. It's based on a novel of the same name. It stars Rachel Wise, uh, Rachel McAdams, and tells the story of a woman who returns to her strict, strict Orthodox Jewish community in London for her father's funeral after living estranged from him in New York for many years. And it becomes clear to um, why she left her home as the movie goes on. Joey, what led you to add disobedience to your movie club list and I think it has to do with a certain actress right I mean I, I am very 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 fond of Rachel McAdams um, <laughs> that anybody who knows me knows that's not really much of a secret I love Mean Girls I actually wear a pink shirt to work every day or not every day but every Wednesday rather um, something to do with that I, I feel like when I made the list uh, however many months ago that you know I read the description on Letterbox, it sounded um you know very intriguing um so that's, that's why I picked it so um nothing 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 crazy or anything just hey I like the actress the movie sounds cool and there you go yeah I mean nothing wrong with Rachel Weisz you know um like her too back you know in the mummy days so Awesome. Well, <laughs> so in the story, Rachel Weiss's father is the head of this head figure of this Jewish community, and he's known as the Rav. And he actually dies in the beginning while delivering this sermon um, about human nature. Like he compa- he talks about like how the angels do good and the beasts of hell do bad, and we he, as humans um, have free will. And you'll as the story goes along, you really see how that is a big theme in the story of um, Free Will. Oh, also note, I didn't, we didn't mention off the top of the show like we normally do, uh, This plenty of spoilers all throughout this show. So um, if you haven't seen, if you don't want to know about Disobedience, definitely check out the movie first before listening to our conversation on it. Uh, so despite Wise moving to New York um, at some point to pursue her passion as photography, you kind of get this sense that she's not really happy in general. Like in this opening scene um, where she's doing this photo shoot with this tattooed guy, you know, it kind of seems like she's going through the motions and then she's kind of like going around New York kind of all like sad and she even has this random kind of nasty hookup in this like public restroom, which is like, okay. Um, So once she finds out about her dad, she travels home to, like we said, this um, Jewish community, this really strict Jewish community, which you find out more and more about as the movie goes along. Um, Then one of the people she runs into is uh, Rachel McAdams' character, who is married to um, this rabbi, who is actually a close um, 
student to her father, kind of a protege type, almost um, was kind of raising him as a son at one point. Um, and then and we come to see that these two women um, used to be together, um, which likely played a lot to do with her um, separating from her family and going to New York. Um, I recall when I first started watching this movie that it really had this real drab, gray light um, mood to it. So it was really kind of somber to start off with. Um, and I remember thinking that, but then as the movie went along, it seemed to brighten up. And I'm almost wondering if like, like whenever this, these two women's relationship, um, starts to come together, maybe the film actually does brighten up some, I'd have to relook at it to confirm that, but that's kind of my initial impression of what it was. Um, overall, I would say this movie was just okay for me. Um, I really appreciated a lot of things about it. And I spent a lot of time figuring out exactly how I wanted to talk about it because I can see this being a um, polarizing movie to talk about. Um, I mean, I was looking at some letterbox reviews and people were kind of bashing the acting. But I mean, us as two straight males, um, you know, how do we relate to this, um, this religious um, lesbian story? So, um, but I think there's enough there and enough that I didn't see to justify kind of how I thought about it. Um, and in general, I think that's the fact that, so with this moody tone, um, moody tone the film gives you, it has a real cold feel that I don't necessarily think I fully connected with how these girls feel. Um, in a lot of instances, you kind of got a surface idea of how what they're probably going through. Like, I think one of the best scenes of the movie is when they're sitting there at this table at this Jewish dinner. And some like the older ladies are like, oh, why aren't you married? And just kind of giving her a hard time about that, which, you know, we know at this point she has no interest in. And you find out more about their wigs, which was a really interesting um, element to have in there. Um, so I don't think I really fully connected with how the girls felt um and i think i'll leave it at there for now uh joey what did you think of disobedience all right so overall like I, I, i'm like i'm with you disobedience was just was just okay like i felt like there was it it wasn't way for better than okay like it was just missing something i, I couldn't tell you what it was missing to be better than okay um like the reviews that i on max um was either oh man this movie was awesome or you know they said some really um <laughs> not very savory things because you know they were just going on and on about the sex scenes or you know yeah. oh my god you know i love the rachels together blah 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 mm -hmm. um and then my thought i thought the acting was actually really good um i actually um, I, I thought that the acting was really good. I thought that they did the best with kind of what they were giving. Um, because despite the fact that the acting was good, like it, I don't think that they did really anything to make me care about them. Like, like I just, it, there was like, okay, yeah, they're in love and, or, you know, they were in there, you know, the things rekindled, but at the same time, it was like, you know, if you're you're so in love, you know, it just 
I, I wanted to see more. And, and I don't mean like I wanted to see more of them. I wanted to see more of their relationship um, to Clara. One thing I picked up on a little bit whenever I was actually listening to some stuff about it this evening was um, I picked up on the fact that um, the Rav apparently was um, encouraged uh, the McAdams character to actually get married to the rabbi guy in order to somewhat cure her of, you know, of her being a lesbian. But as we see, um, you know, it's definitely a part of who she is. Um, although there are parts about her life like that we see that make her happy, like we definitely see that she has an interest in kids and she likes being this teacher. But then you have this scene like where she sits down on a bed and she looks like totally drained and she like takes off her wig. And like I thought they did a really good job of like showing her hair be like really thin under that wig, almost like this metaphor of like she's covering up who she is really is every day with this like persona of this typical uh jewish lady in the community um also yeah, i mean <laughs> go ahead i said yeah i mean there there were things that they did well like things like that you know and using you know going in and you know having a wig shop and wearing wigs and you know attention to detail like they they really well um, so I'm, I'm assuming that you, you watch this on prime, right? I did. Yeah. Okay. So did you have the same problem with, um, like your audio being really wonky, like, um, where in like one scene in the same scene that went from being super like normal audio to being super muted to being insanely loud, like in the same almost sentence, because that really took us out of when we were watching it to to the point where it was like we had my TV at almost forty and we still couldn't hear some of the some of the stuff they were saying. And I'm, um, I mostly watch this on so my laptop. Really, and really hard to no, watch. Un- unfortunately, I I didn't have any audio issues. I get, maybe just it was a streaming thing. I mean, I mean, maybe. I mean, usually we don't have any issues with Prime. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like you know one where you know we were watching through less evil means and you know we just got a bad rip. So yeah, I can definitely see how um, technical issues yeah, of the film can definitely really, take you out of the mood. Um, but you know, going outside of that, like I said, there were there were a lot of good things. And then back to your, you know, yeah, she definitely. You know, it was Rachel McAdams, but she didn't look. You know, you know, vibrant like Rachel McAdams, and that was a, another thing that I had an issue with the movie. Like, the whole movie, like the only remnants of color that I remember in this whole movie was when they snuck away from the town to go on their little tryst to the hotel room. Was the Decker bus being red? Was the only remnants of color that I remember. Everything is gray, or dark, and it's just. I'm sure it was intended. I'm. I'm sure that like the whole color palette was gray and muted and everything intentionally to be gray and that whole drab, you know, for a reason. But you know, usually there's something to pop out or stand out. You know, the rest of it's done that way on purpose. But I'm sure the double decker bus wasn't a metaphor for something. Shit, maybe it was, but <laughs> I yeah, that did that did stand out. The you know, was London landmark there. Um, I thought it was an interesting. My ears perked up a little bit whenever uh, they're having that intense talk and and they said how Jewish women are expected to have sex with their uh, husbands on Friday. So um, 
and that's just a little thing. Like there was a lot of like I've always found the Jewish culture um really fascinating. I really know nothing about it growing up as a Protestant. So um I've always found movies where you actually are taken into like a Jewish service at a synagogue and hear them speak like um Hebrew or Yiddish or whatever it is. Um I find all those um aspects pretty interesting. Um All right, so, and that's funny, you kind of, uh, like I had kind of mentioned the fact that, yeah, the, the the film looks like gray, kind of bleak, but like typically I'm a bay, I, I think uh, Rachel McAdams is super attractive, but in this, like almost like all of that vibrancy is like drained away. So to kind of, I guess in a lot of ways, like, so, in blue's the warmest color like you get all these really close-up shots to these this girl's face and it's really blush and vibrant and you really feel and it's very she's very attractive where in this movie like both women are very i like, think you're talking about adele yeah i think so uh in this movie both of them look very flat and plain the, the, the girl without blue hair but... right yeah, the, the the main character. Yeah, well, I mean, I just watched it like two days ago. So it's, a, it's Adele and Emma. So yes, Adele would be the, the brunette. Yeah. Yes. She was very, very, very attractive and, and vibrant, like you said. Yes, anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, okay. So at one point, like, so whenever the, so the house is a major plot point in the story. Um and I knew coming into that scene, I was like, uh, he definitely probably wants to have this like one-on-one -on -one with her because she is not getting the house because like she was just totally just disconnected with her father. So I kind of saw that coming. Um, although I think the more interesting part about that scene is she actually like she steals this wig in order to kind of fit in, in order to like be in the best light when dealing with this whole like house situation. And whenever she actually like sits into the meeting um you know she has the wig on and the rabbi is just like oh take that off almost like he thinks she like she's like mocking that tradition almost like him like acknowledging that it's kind of silly that the women are wearing these these, these poofy hair pieces um so that was one thing that stood out to me um also like whenever the women do start to get well, together he, I, i'll go ahead i think she i think it was more that she, because she's not married. Um, since she's not married, she's married. She's not supposed to wear a wig. Oh, I had. I, I did some I research on that at all. Why they're wearing? Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were kind of like, why? You know, why are they wearing wigs? You know, and so <laughs> every once in a while, um, I could be mistaken about that, but we did look that up, and so um, one of the things where uh, Orthodox Jewish women is that when they're married, they're supposed to keep them hair cover so that was also in the scene when um and near the end when rachel mcadams goes and buys the pregnancy test um she wasn't wearing her wig but she was wearing the like the toboggan style thing even though you know it probably also was cold but you know she she wore that because she had to have her hair covered because she's married gotcha gotcha um one thing, one scene that really stood out to me was, you know, when they do start to kind of hook up on the tennis court and this like random couple comes out of nowhere and they're like, what were you doing? What were you doing? And then they end up like going and like ratting them out to like the lady's boss. 
I was like, wow, that is very intrusive <laughs> of um, people's um, lifestyles. I mean, butt out. But I guess in that kind of a community where everybody knows each other, I mean, gossip's going to get around fast. And I, not to stereotype, but I do hear that, um, you know, uh, Jewish women like to uh, like to gossip. Not that regular or, you know, Catholic or any other women don't, but <laughs> I think that's I've heard that before. Well, and I think it's just even more so than more than just gossip, because, you know, you know, you hear so much about how Europe, since, you know, they're in London, but Europe is so much more progressive than over here in the States, especially in the South where we are. But, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you think, oh, well, they're going to be so much more aggressive, you know, and that, you know, two women being together isn't such a big deal. But in their community, you know, it's, it's highly frowned upon clearly by, you know, the whole tone of the movie. And that's, that's why Rachel Weiss's character had left. And, you know, now she's back and, you know, everyone knew that they were together as, you know, teenagers or, you know, early, early adults or whatever, young adults, um, rather. And so now they're back, back and they're thinking she's going to corrupt um, Etsy McAdams character. And yeah. so, you know, they, they think, yeah, they're telling her boss that they think that they're doing right by her, they're protecting her because they're going to tell her boss. And I guess her boss is either going to go back and tell her husband or, you know, whatever it is what have you um and so yeah they're they're gossiping per se but in their mind they're doing what's best both for etsy or esty not etsy esty and what's best for their community and all that kind of stuff and that's just you know kind of how i perceived it well that's that's uh that's a very interesting point of view so um do you think that the title is a little sensationalistic or do you think it's spot on uh with disobedience um, and be, I mean, very, very clearly, um, Ronit, um, or I guess it's, I think that's how it's pronounced, Ronit, Rachel Weiss's character, she's obviously very clearly disobedient to, to the ways of, of that, um, Orthodox community. She, she's very disobedient, and you know, to a degree, so is, um, McAdams' character. She's, um, you know, she was disobedient, but then she, you know, she fell in line, even like she said, you know, if I, I'll have sex with my husband, and it's not like I'm going to get beat, you know. And she, she, she does what a lot of not just women, but people do, even in our society, where what's comfortable for um, oh, um, to to be comfortable um, to have security. There we go. That's the phrase I'm looking for. They they do they take the life that's going to give them security. So she has a husband, she has a job, she has money. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not. She's not rich, but you know, she has security. She's going to be taken care of. Um, but, you know, then, you know, the old flame comes back in and, yeah, she's very disobedient, even to the point of, you know, where they come, they culminate at the end where, you know, she, she's like, I'm, she, she ends up leaving her husband. Um, yeah, I think and, that you know, makes very, sense. Very disobedient, um, um, in especially that, in um, the fact that, um, like, I think a lot of the stuff you're talking about, I think is kind of more subtle in the film to where they're not actually saying these things out loud, but you really get the, the sense of that, um, that shunning throughout the film which is is kind of underplayed so i guess in a way that's um that's done really well uh let's talk about the sex scene um so i thought it was um it was very passionate i thought it was um it's definitely not as explicit as uh, blue but um they're completely different movies with um different feels um i've heard a lot about the spitting now when yeah, i actually one, saw one thousand percent agree that 
<laughs> um, when I heard about the spitting thing, I thought it was going to be more of like an aggressive spit. And in the movie, it's more of a playful spit. Um, which, I mean, whatever. <laughs> it's it's kind of silly seeing them, um, you know, drizzle spit in each other's mouths. I've, I've, I mean, it's definitely not... Uh, I'm not really sure how that that's sexy, but um, I guess to people that are um, you know swapping swapping spit, that's that's what it's about. Um, so uh, yeah, I thought it was a very um, intense sex scene, um, which was you know pretty erotic um, or sensual to watch. And yeah, I thought it was done pretty well. And uh, you'll notice they're dressed in black the whole time, so that's another way that it's it's kind of underplaying um, the passion that's already there. Okay, so yeah, like I said, one one thousand percent agree. It's completely it's completely different than blue. Um, you know, if they had, if they had done one of the things I, I I did say I thought that they should have done with the movie, had, which would have been like a flashback scene to when they were younger or something, that they had shown like a sex scene, then I definitely could have seen more comparisons to blue. Um, because you know, outside of there's you know some lesbians and there's like a sex scene, like I really don't see the comparison to blue um, at all. Um, True. I, I didn't really understand the spitting, and maybe that's something. Um, maybe that's a, a thing I don't get. You know, usually you hear sexing and, and you hear spitting, and you know, there's a guy involved, and that's a whole different thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> but you know, you know, I, I saw you know they spitting each other's mouths, and you know, my my initial thing was, well, that's a different way to you know swap spit, and you know. You know, they were pretty much closed the whole time, and you know the only nudity was in the sex scene with Rachel McAdams and her husband earlier, and it wasn't very much at all. Um, so, you know, I thought it was a pretty good sex scene. I'm not going to go as far as one of the letterbox reviews I saw, where someone in all capital letters was like, um, "Best sex scene ever." Um, like, not quite. <laughs> I think they like top pasted it like, like a few times. You know, it's. Just, and I guess it's all subjective, you know, to what you like. I mean, if they think that's, you know, that's, that's their opinion, you know, you know, more power to them, you know. The, so, uh, the but, final, like, orgasm know, moan it, it, at it, it the end uh, kind of made me think of um, McAdams might have been channeling. I'm not sure if you've seen um, When Harry Met Sally, but uh, Meg Ryan in that movie has a famous fake orgasm that um, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. I not mean, that it was fake. I mean, but. I'll have what she's had. I mean, I'll have what she's having. I mean, I, mean right. I haven't seen that movie, but I think anybody who's been alive, or anybody at least around our age or older, you know, is going to know I'll have what she's having. Or they know that line and don't even know what it's from because it's been mimicked in so many times. Um, Very so, true. But, yeah, like you, um, especially, like even before I, I had seen Blue, I had I knew that you know there was a lot of nudity in that movie, and to hear this movie compared to it, I was expecting you know when they hit their big sex scene, comparing these movies, and then I watched them and I was just you know what, and it's a completely different topic of conversation, I guess, for a different time. But yeah, even 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 that scene, you know, you said you know like you said they were in black and it's like they're just even that was a, a color muted thing. I didn't even think about that until you said it. You know that they were still in black the whole time. Yep, not even oh. naked really, and I mean, and that and that helps make it less explicit. Um, 
So uh, starting to wind this thing down. Um, so I thought the end was a little odd. There's a lot of waffling back and forth about what uh, McAdams is going to do. I mean, she finally gets the courage to tell her husband that uh, she's going to leave him. Um, she finds out that she's pregnant. Um, he gets the position as Rav, but turns it down and then releases her um, in front of everyone, which is, is a pretty a big, pretty big, strong moment. Um, and then you're thinking that maybe she'll go off and, you know, these two women will have their thing. But then all of a sudden, that doesn't happen. And then the movie just ends with kind of this all being just kind of a one-off. And it seemed... I mean, that can be realistic, but at the same time, it it didn't really see like we saw any like thought process in her mind of, am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? And it just kind of ends with it, her just kind of going and not being disobedient. Um, I, I don't know. Like I kind of took it as um, the, the way I perceived it was, you know, if she, if she runs back off, with um, Rachel Weiss is like all, all the. Well, let me let me figure out how I want to phrase this right. All right, three, two, one. What I remember thinking when I when I watched it and going, I, I was surprised that she didn't leave with her. But I remember remember seeing something. I don't remember what it was precisely, but I remember thinking that the reason that she didn't was it was something along the lines of that she just for herself to like finally be on her own. So like in her early ad early adolescence, it was the three of them because her husband is, is you know, Rachel, Rachel Weiss's cousin, and then the three of them were like one of her friends. So it was the three of them, and then it was the two of them were, were a couple, and then she leaves, and then now the whole, her whole adult life, she's been with them. So she's going to do this, this is how she's going to be, you know, I guess to find herself type thing, because who is she if she just goes back and goes and bees with her. Plus, I remember thinking there was something along the lines of um, if she goes and bees with her, it was, it was somehow bad. Not not bad in like the sense of she's bad religiously, but like it was bad, like as in they were bad for each other kind of thing. Despite that they love each other, they were so just bad. And I don't remember where I picked up on that from, but I just remember getting hmm. that vibe now. I don't remember. Yeah, where. I never, I, um, I never recall any real friction so, between the two. Um, and it's just like you have this poignant moment where, uh, like, the rabbi's like, "I free you," and then she's like, "Well, never mind. I guess I'll be with you, and we'll have this kid, and you know, she'll go back to New York, and that's the end." Um, well, she's she's still. I mean, remember she was on the she was on the couch when he came downstairs, and Rachel Wise was leaving. She was sleeping on the couch so i think she's still leaving him um and gonna be single you know they're still gonna get their divorce but she's just not gonna go with rachel Weiss. um oh, really? so they're okay. all just gonna be separated um yeah yeah because she was still on the couch huh yeah i didn't get that sense at all but maybe yeah maybe yeah. i need to revisit that and um interesting um going back to weiss a little bit like yeah because so in terms of um, the photography aspect, like, so the final shot is of her going to her father's grave and she clicks the camera and you like takes a picture of, you know, the mound of dirt. It's not even like a finished grave at that point. Um, I don't know. It's just 
something it was just something about her and the photography where I wasn't really sold that you know she was like this photographer um, there is one scene where like she's taking pictures of McAdams where she seems like she's kind of into what she's doing but for the most part it never really seemed like she was a photographer and so with that feeling like I think this was supposed to be like this poignant moment where maybe she's trying to see eye to eye with her dad as she takes a picture of him and or the grave that is and I don't know it just it didn't really resonate the way I thought it kind of should for being the final mo the final shot of this drama. Um, I don't know like I mean I, I remember thinking in that scene it's like why is she using uh, film? But, you know, like, not just necessarily film, because obviously there are people who use film and, and for different reasons. But it was more like not just film, but like like a camera that looked like it was just ridiculously ancient. Um, well, maybe, maybe it's a period More, more so than, than that. <laughs> maybe so. But, yeah. um, like, I, I really thought that it should have just ended with McAdams running running to the car and sharing that, you know, that moment where they're telling each other goodbye and she kisses her and then, um, you, you know, but I guess maybe, maybe the movie was, a, you know, it was her dad, dad dying that brought him there and set up this whole thing. And then her telling her dad goodbye through taking that picture or something, you know, something yeah. of that nature. I, I, I'm not really sure that's so just kind of. Another thing I think that kind of took me out of it is the fact that it does go by really, really slow. Like, it's not until the 30-minute mark where we get to this real interesting dinner where you're finding out more about the community, and it's not really until the hour mark until, like, the relationship between the two women starts to heat up. So, I mean, we're talking about all these real interesting moments throughout, but this is a two-hour movie where it, it feels two hours, for sure. I mean, I, I think it felt, like, a lot longer, and, you know, we keep, even though we keep saying like not to compare it to blue but that's the one everyone can compares it to the three-hour movie that i felt like that movie flew by it did not feel like a three-hour movie agree. at all it's crazy i mean even after this conversation i feel even more confused about how i feel about this um but in the rating segment i i would stick with my three and a half star rating um which i still need to put up on the letterbox um so I think the acting is good and subtle, but I didn't really connect with the characters, which made me made it feel cold to me. Um, I like the themes of like going against like your upbringing to be the person that you want to be. So that's interesting. And it's all depicted in this very melancholy manner, which the story is. But it I just didn't feel connected enough to really say that I really like I really love this film like I, I think it's a very good film but um, it doesn't really go beyond that even though I think it had the potential to um, with its with its really strong themes I just think if it would have it done something else to where it, it, it connected with me maybe um, you know, maybe it would have been more of a, a masterpiece in my eyes. Like, I think Blue is a masterpiece. And because that movie is so doggone relatable, you don't have to be a gay woman, in my opinion, to just feel totally connected to those people in those movies. And I think that's why that's that's a masterpiece. And this one is is trying. 
Yeah, um, I, I gave Disobedience three stars um, for, for a lot of the same reasons that you said. Like, I, I thought the acting was good. Um, and I felt like it needed some more color. Like, I understand they were probably trumping with the color being so muted, like, the, like you said, to be melancholy, which, which the movie was. Um, but I just didn't really connect with them. And, you know, we, we go back to, like I said, Blue, we keep using it. Um, and I, I also think that movie was a masterpiece. And it, that, that's just, like you said, you don't have to be a gay woman. It's, a, it's, a, it's you know, because the French title is the story of Adele. Um, and it's, it's her story. It's her, it's her story of becoming who she is, falling in love and all that. And, you know, everyone can relate to who you are and, you know, falling in love and just becoming the person that you are and going through all of that. So, like, I honestly, like, I sat down at the end of that movie and went to go over and I was like, I mean, I, I, I was like, man, I wish I put that movie on my list and wish we were talking about that movie instead of disobedience, like, to be, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I mean, not, yeah. not that I'm upset that I watched disobedience. Like, it's just, it's not like, uh, I didn't write a review. Um, I actually wrote a review about this one. I didn't put, um, nine vomiting emojis after this one. I mean, um, <laughs> like I did on a previous movie. Oh, so, yeah, that was rough. Um, there is that. So, um, you know. Very cool. All right. So, so to move you know, on. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. someone. Go ahead. I was just going to say, someone's listening, like, I would still say, you know, like, this movie is, you know, you put it at three and a half, I put it at three, so, and it's a six and a seven, you know, that's that's around average to a little bit above average, you know. Um, you know, definitely say that's worth a watch. Um, it's just, I, I didn't love it. Like I said earlier, I just think it's, be over the top to be a, a better movie. Like it was just right there and it was just missing something. Yeah, I mean, definitely if you think it'd be interesting so, to but, see the experience of a very, um, uh, a woman that is constrained by her religion and um, can't be the person she wants to be, and an old fling comes back into her life and to see how she deals with that. I mean, if that kind of story. Um, seems interesting you definitely check it out and judge it for yourself and see if the subtleness is enough to help you connect with those characters but unfortunately um, that's the biggest thing for drawback for me all right so moving into the challenge portion and um joey last time like over a month ago (laughs) you challenged me to watch gangster squad which is a 2013 American action crime thriller directed by Ruben Flesher. Not sure what else he directed. I have to look that up. It stars Josh Brolin, Ryan Gosling, Nick Nolte, Emma Stone, Mike, Michael Pena, and Sean Penn. It's set in 1949, and the plot is fictionalized account of the LAPD officers and detectives called the Gangster Squad who attempt to keep L.A. safe Um, from a vicious gangster by acting like gangsters themselves. So an interesting factoid about this, um, the film was actually originally set to be released in September 7th, 2012, but in the wake of the 2012 Aurora shooting, which was the whole Joker deal during um, um, the Batman... uh, Dark Knight Rises, the guy who dressed up as a Joker and unfortunately killed those people in the movie theater. Awful incident. Uh, The film was pushed back to January 11th um, to accommodate some uh, reshoots, and it never really got um, a great um, traction. So 
ever since um, I heard that this movie was coming out, I really had no desire to see this. And, you know, it wasn't until you, Joey, you're like, hey, Justin, go watch Gangster Squad. Um, that, you know, I am in the position to watch it now. <laughs> Gangster Squad, I mean, just the name alone sounds kind of cheesy. Um, but this movie, um, it moves along at an excellent place. It has really fun, interesting characters, and it has somewhat brutal violence, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I've had a really good time with this movie, and I'm so glad you recommended it. Um, it's a shame that it's really heavily panned on Letterboxd. There's like barely any fans of it, and people there's all kinds of crazy stuff people say on there about it. But um, So a few things to say. Um, it had some cool stylistic moments. I mean, style isn't like a huge thing in this movie, other than the fact that, you know, it's a period piece. So they do have like the, hey, the the gangster kind of vibe to it. Um, some style things that did stand out to me was the fact that um, there's a scene where like they're in a dark room. So to actually see what's going on, they like freezed on these like picture images, which was kind of cool. And then at the end, they uh, did a shootout in slow motion where we even see this little Christmas ornament explode into a thousand pieces <laughs> during the shootout, which was kind of funny. Um, I thought Brolin fit the main character perfectly as this like tough, badass guy. And his wife was really interesting since she was like a part of it and looking through his files, helping him pick out like the perfect team. So those were really fun characters. Um... So Ryan Gosling in this, he sounds like he's 12 years old <laughs> as this pretty boy. And um, so he has this relationship with Emma Stone in the movie, who is actually also in a relationship with the main gangster. And I might say this is the weakest part of the movie because I could care less about this relationship. And you know what? That doesn't bother me one bit because I think if we would have gotten more on this relationship, it would have slowed down how great the pacing was in this movie. And I don't think that would have been necessary at all. Um, one of the things I really liked about this movie is you'd have this crazy action scene and like in most movies they might like go to a shot of like one of these like detectives like oh investigating saying exactly what happened but no they just pan to the side and you move on to the next thing and that's exactly what I thought it needed to be you didn't really need I mean they were the cops doing this stuff and then you, you have your pinnacle moment of Sean Penn being like so they burned all the cash and they didn't take anything okay these guys are cops and I thought Sean Penn, um, he was a little over the top in what he was doing, but I mean, that's perfect for a gangster role, because I mean, that's how a gangster would act. Um, yeah, I love how um, all the crazy action scenes, um, there was, it wasn't like Tarantino levels of blood flying around, but there was just enough, a lot of good gun violence in there, you know, that taps into my inner um, action lover. And yeah, I had a great time watching it. Um, how was your rewatch? Um, I hadn't seen it in a long time. Like I had forgotten about the the drawing and quartering scene at the very beginning. So I mean that kind of starts you out with a bang. Um I I really enjoyed it. Um so lots of gunplay, lots of violence, you know, that's kinda of my MO. Um one of the things and I, I don't remember thinking this the first time I watched it, but so you know, Sean Penn did an excellent job. You know, not, not disappointed that it was Sean Penn, but it was like, you know, you got the, the head of the, you know, you know, criminal organizations of this big gangster. And it's like, you know, this kind of feels like it should be like Ray Liotta or something. And, you know, I don't know what he was doing then. You know, they couldn't get him, you know, and I understand he wasn't, 
um, an Italian guy because he was Jewish, but it's like, um, it was like, uh, I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe this should have been Ray, but, you know, again, Sean Penn fit really well, especially, you know, beating up on people and everything. It was really good. You know, uh, another thing put together, you know, so you had, you had, uh, Brolin, so you had, you know, you had Thanos, you had Michael Pena, um, you know, the storytelling guy from, uh, from Ant-Man, right. um, in there. Um, that was kind of cool. Here. Um, you also had, um, yeah, you had, um, Falcon. Yeah. Yep. He was, in there um, too. so you had, you had all, you had all, yeah, so you had all the, all the Marvel connections, um, you know, you know, I won't say before all of them were in, well, I think maybe before all, all of them were in. I think my favorite you know, actually was um, um, the T-1000 himself, uh, Mr. Uh, Robert Patrick in there. And I love that scene of where he uh, was shooting the can up in the air. And he's like, it's all about shooting where the can is going to be, not where it's at. I thought I thought he was really cool in the film. I mean, yeah, the, the, the cast was, was really good. And you got Giovanni Ravesti in there, too, you know, as, the, um, as you know, the, the tech Smart guy. guy. The, tech mm-hmm. guy the tech guy. It almost yeah, felt just guy. like his uh, yeah, role the, the from senior. Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, just, basically just, you know, they actually were like, you're actually good at this. Um, um, yeah, the, the scene uh, where, telephone you know, clipping in, line was cool. Yeah, they, um, they break into uh, Mickey Cohen's house, and uh, he, he runs, um, Wow. Ryan Gosling, there we go. Ryan Gosling you know, runs into Emma Stone, and it's just kind of like the scene. Um, you know, they don't say anything, and he runs back, you know, to give her a kiss or whatever. And Giovanni Ravisti's like, like looking at him, and he just goes to prove, you know, you're Ryan Gosling, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just, just do whatever the hell you want. Um, yeah. You know, it was just a fun movie. Like I, I enjoyed it. You know, I wasn't expecting anything, you know, crazy high cinema. Just I didn't really remember anything about it, and uh, like fun story. I had a uh, went into a um like a pawn shop um this is a roommate told me there was a one of the pawn shops here in town usually uh for some reason that particular one has a lot of good movies and i just stopped in there knew we were about to watch it and they had it so i picked it and uh crazy stupid love which is a, a, another one of the ryan emma duo movies up i picked them both up for three dollars a piece so that was uh made yeah. watching this a lot easier so i have all three of their their movie combos together now so <laughs> so it's uh this one you said crazy stupid love and la la land yes which that okay. one i have on steel because okay. i i absolutely love that movie i absolutely adore that movie last year when i watched it for the first time <laughs> oh interesting i didn't realize you're a musical fan um i don't watch a lot but when i do i really like them and that being said i've watched this year i've watched the star is born um, I've watched um, The Dirt. I've watched, which I, mean, I guess it isn't a musical, but a music-based movie, you know, and then um, Bohemian. So, I mean, those, you know, kind of the three three bigger music musical-based movies, but yeah. So. All right. So, um, I haven't put my letterbox review up, but it's going to be um, four and a half stars with this. Um, I mean, it's, it's a crazy fun action movie. Um, so, I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece, but I... It it really hit my sweet spot in terms of action. I thought it moved around, moved quickly, had a a good story to tell, and I was really happy with it. So appreciate you recommending that. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I gave it um I 
off of initial remembery, uh, remembrance, I'd given it four, and I just left it at four. Um, I mean, it did, it did everything I needed it to do. It was, you know, it was fun. It was great. Um, you know, just great fun. Just so I just I just left it. You just left it where it was. Very cool. And so the next challenge. Um, so. At some point in the near future, we're going to be watching David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. So I was thinking it would probably be a good idea if we warmed you up on David Lynch. Because if you haven't seen much of his stuff, <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting one to get into. Um, have you ever seen Blue Velvet before? I have not seen Blue Velvet. I actually think I, I went to go start it one day. Um, a couple weeks ago and for whatever reason like I had to leave or something so like, I say I started it like I hit play uh, like 10 seconds of it started and I had to leave like I got called in early to work or something so like that was it <laughs> have you seen any uh, do you recall seeing any David Lynch off the top of my head that I know no okay yeah, I mean. so this this is a really great entry point. Um, it's it kind of has some of his weird style, but isn't like as it as crazy as like Mulholland Drive or some of his later stuff. So um, yeah, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about Blue Velvet. All right, cool deal. Um, and so, so just just to answer your question, as soon as this page loads, the rest of the way I will tell you. Okay. It wants to go super slow, but um, I, I have watched zero. Okay, perfect. So we'll uh, do a little bit of dabbling in uh, Lynch together with this uh, podcast. I've actually seen all of his films. Um, I haven't seen some of his short films, but yeah, about two years ago. Um, like I had seen Eraserhead once, and I just totally didn't get it. And then I watched it again, and I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> and then I finally watched it another time and had listened to a review and was just starting to click. And um, yes, something about David Lynch films, like always hearing about them, I always was kind of hesitant of like, what exactly am I going to see in these movies? Is it going to be pretty extreme? I He has some pretty weird surrealist stuff in there, but he's kind of campy at the same time. So, um, and you definitely would get a vibe of that if you ever watched Twin Peaks, which was his TV show. So, yeah, we'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what you think of David Lynch. Um, all right, Joey, uh, what is our main film for next time? All right, so our main film is going to be, um, directed by Robert Altman. And it oh, is, yay. um, yes. So the main star, a lot of people might recognize as Rachel and Ross's father. Um, and this is going to be the long goodbye. I'm very looking forward to that. I've heard this is a uh, a neo crime. Like he has a neo western called McCabe and Mrs. Miller, um, which I really enjoy. That's my favorite film of his. And I've been really looking to an excuse to watch the Long Good Friday. It's not actually a Criterion, so it's kind of like floating off into like a. Hey, it should be one, but it's just not one yet. So I'm glad you uh, glad you picked that one. Very cool. And I'm. I'm I'm sitting here looking at the the, the um the cast list and like way down on the cast list there's David Carradine so you have Kung Fu and Bill and you have the Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger like down in this so this is really interesting like to see them be in some roles that aren't you know that they're going to be known for 
Now I'll caution you with Altman. Altman likes to do a naturalistic audio in his movies. So what you might get in this movie is you'll hear like a bunch of people talking at once, but your main characters talking as well. So I might recommend if you have a chance to maybe listen to this with headphones because he's definitely known for having like lots of audio going on and it kind of being hard to tell what's going on. So I uh, just caution about that. I might, I might, um, well, when I watch movies by myself, I always watch with subs, but, um, I do tend to watch a lot of these with my roommate. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, he usually, he does not share my, um, <laughs> my love for subs, but uh. I might, I might be like, yo, this is one we need to watch with subs. So yeah, that, um, that, might, that would probably be a good idea. I might do the same. Um, you know, just depending on how, how big of a thing that is. Um, yeah, Altman's a, he's, he's a, he's a really interesting auto director. I've seen a couple of his stuff. And so I'm definitely want to see what he can do with a crime film. Cool. All right. So, uh, thanks for listening, um, to the average Joe's movie club cast. We're finally back. Uh, hope to be doing this, um, twice a month moving forward, but we'll see how it goes. Life happens. Um, make sure to check out us on letterbox. That's where we share our, most up-to-date thoughts on movies and uh, write reviews and please comment and uh, share the podcast. We'd love to have a big community of people that listen to us and um, you know we'd love to have a whole 30 minutes of us talking uh, viewer feedback if we can. Um, how, do, how can people get in touch with us, Joey? They can email us at the Average Joe's Movie Clubcast at gmail.com. That's it. And um, also, we're on. We're starting to get on SoundCloud now. So, if instead of YouTube, um, if you prefer SoundCloud, we'll be on there as well. And we really enjoyed talking these movies tonight. And like I always like to say at the end of my reviews, happy movie watching, everyone. Skull. <laughs>